Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Welcome to our series, Hardway. This is the grand finale of the Hardway series, a series about family. Are you ready for tonight? I've got it all rolled up into this one here today. I think that the Spirit of God has given me something for you. If you're not a God person or you're not a God person yet, that's just how we say it around here. We're just saying, we just assume that you're going to start thinking about it. And then once you meet Jesus, everything kind of changes after that. And so it's okay, though. Thanks for, you're allowed to belong here. And you're allowed to belong on our online audience without having to believe everything that we believe. But the thing is, it's easier to believe Jesus after you meet Jesus. I'm just saying. <laughs> so um, I've got a sermon entitled today, Hard Way. What, what did you expect? What did you expect? Just give me a minute to play this out here. Um, what keeps family together is a mission. Does your family have a mission? Now, your family situation, you might be single, and you say, Pastor, I don't have a family right now. Your family can also be your people. Do you do life with four to seven people? So I started this whole series with, with uh, we had a, a paralyzed man who needed healing from Jesus, and he had four buddies who basically tore a roof apart during a worship service to get the man to Jesus so that he could be healed. And that's what your people do. They, they tear roofs apart and they, they get you to God and they get you to where you need to get that you can't get there by yourself. And there are times in our lives where we're paralyzed. And I've been talking in this whole series about the story of Noah and his seven people, which makes eight. And they were his people. And they built an ark in the middle of a desolate and wicked land before the judgment of God came. An ark is a symbol to like, hey, come on board. It's big enough for all y'all if you want to. And that he was a re preacher of righteousness in his day. And we've been using these ancient Chinese uh, symbols here, which, which if, if you ask what the word uh, ark means, or, or like big boat, basically, in, in Chinese, the, the, the character on the left, let me get this straight here, means boat. The one on the upper right, I don't. I'm not like fluent. Google helped me out here. The one on the upper right is the symbol for eight, I believe, and the one on the bottom is the symbol for people. And it's, it's interesting that buried in the ancient Chinese text is that the word ark can be translated into a boat with eight people. Wow. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Isn't that super interesting? And many, many civilizations, their, their, their line starts at a great worldwide flood. And it's very fascinating here that the Bible account also takes us there. Now, a Christ follower actually believes that this actually happened, this wasn't just stories. And so it would be super depressing to grow up in a church where all you heard was things that you thought were stories that were supposed to make you kind of into a better person, maybe. And Jesus was cool if he existed. No, no, that's not really what we're saying here. We're saying that you can meet Jesus and all of these things actually happened. And they show that God wants to connect with people. And this is the, f the finale of our series, Hard Way that nothing keeps a family together like a mission. You can get through a lot of personality things if you've got a mission and you're in it to win it. And in, in your work and in your company, you can get over a lot of personality things if you feel like you're moving forward and you're providing services that you need to do and you feel like you're winning. So the mission is that winning part. What keeps us focused and keeps us all together long enough to get over that little petty stuff so that we can keep focused on the mission. And my question here today is, I like you. You're helping me preach. That's good. If you don't help me preach, the ones who don't help me preach will be here a lot longer. And I'll dismiss all the other ones. You guys can go have your after party early. No. I appreciate it. It helps me. Helps me preach. I have a question today with the whole idea of what did you expect. Is it possible that you mostly find in life what you were mostly expecting to find in life? Is it possible that you mostly find kind of what you were expecting to find in people? What were you expecting? 
I believe that faith is expecting good things to happen from the hand of a good God, even in the midst of bad situations. But there's this negative faith that kind of cycles around too. And sometimes we look for the bad in people and find it because that's the only thing that we were really looking for and expecting to find. But um, if, if you're like a pessimistic kind of a person, you wouldn't call yourself a pessimistic kind of a person. You would call yourself a, a real, realist. <laughs> Do you have any realists in the room today? We just, Pastor Corey, no, you don't understand. We're just smarter than everybody else, and we just see all the problems. And nobody else sees all the problems. There's just these like, people dancing around with unicorns and rainbows that just, they're just not as smart as we are, Pastor Corey. <laughs> I'm just going to challenge that a little bit today. We can also call you pessimistic sometimes. The, something that makes you walk into a room full of 10 awesome things that are working and one tiny little thing that needs tweaking, and that's all that you could think about. <laughs> My goodness. That's not the right butter from the store. And your poor husband's like, do you know how long the grocery list was? I don't like the grocery store. I bought $18 grapes because it was, it was on the list one time. It was on the list. And then I, I, I you know, I, I just drop off the groceries upstairs. And then I go downstairs, just minding my own business, just being, you know, a great husband and stuff. And I just go downstairs and I hear this scream from upstairs. You paid $18 for grapes. I'm like, I don't know. Did I pay she got the receipt. Like, there's no getting out of this one. I'm like, um, <laughs> like, there's no, like, running and hiding, right? It's a moment of reality. And I'm like, I, yes. But, you know, like, what are you going to say? I just paid $18 for grapes, right? And um, we, we used to live in a little town where they could basically mark up whatever they wanted to to whatever prices because there was one store. So, like, high Monopoly, we can charge $18 for grapes if that's what we want to do. And they did, and I didn't check because it was just on the list, and I didn't know that I was also supposed to be checking stuff on the list. I was, like, complicated enough because there was more than one thing on the list. So, um, so yeah, I got grapes, and, um, and then Pastor Aaron took them back. <laughs> and our marriage got back together, and we're good. So we've been good ever since. Thanks, thanks for asking. Here's the, um, here's the litmus test to see if you might be, okay, like a realist, but might be maybe a little bit on the pessimistic side or maybe a little on, on the negative side of things. You ready? Okay, if you've ever said, okay, if someone shares a new idea with you and your first response is, that won't work, you might have a little something to work on today. I'm just saying. If, if every time somebody comes with a new idea to you and you're the boss at work and your first response is, that's not going to work, and here are the 150 reasons why that's not going to work. You might be a realist. I'm going to call you a realist for right now, just so you get all on my side here. Like, you might, you know, be a realist. All right. If you hate happy people because they're not realistic, you might have a little something to work on. <laughs> I hate that person because they're just so happy all the time. They, just, they don't deal with the real problems that I deal with. Well, I mean, yeah, like, you get the happy, bubbly people that are like, hey, everything's awesome, and, you know, there's no problems. And you're like, I think that there's probably problems. <laughs> um, so you can bury your head in the sand. That's not really the type of person that I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, if everybody who's happy really gets on your nerves because you're not happy, and you just like when everybody's like you, uh, you know, you might be a realist. I mean, a realist pessimist. All right. I'm working, I'm working this in slow. Uh, if the thought of tomorrow overwhelms and threatens you often, you might see life on the negative side of things too much. If the thought of waking up tomorrow and the problems that it's going to bring about and your outlook on those problems is negative, 
we might have something to work on. And the scriptures have something to say to you today. And I'm going to tell you that everybody in this room and everybody watching online, listening online, you're on their way to work. You know that there's something in your life that you have a negative outlook on. And what it's doing, it's actually pulling negative results towards you because you're seeing things that you're looking for. But the trouble is you're only looking for the negative things to see. That's good. That'll preach. All right. If you tend to go back when you should go forward, you might be too negative. You're getting close to the end of the race and the final push and one bad piece of news or something causes you to go back too many times. You look back at your life and your whole life has been just going back and going back and going back some more when you could have pushed through like a person with a positive outlook would do because here's a a positive person just assumes that it's going to work out. And they did this study on entrepreneurs and the most successful ones just had this belief that it was going to work out somehow. Oh yeah, we're going to have to work it, but I think that it will just work out. Whereas a a pessimistic person or a negative person is so busy focusing on problems that sometimes what we can't do is see through to the solution. And so sometimes we go back rather than go forward. So you just kind of walk out of the conflict before it gets too heated because you don't really want to finish. But the victory isn't climbing the mountain. The victory is getting finished. Just give me a minute here. You're going to like it. There's something in your life to work on. Is it possibly that you mostly find in life what you were expecting to find? What did you expect? I'm going to be preaching about Noah today in just a tiny little part of his story where we find that he was expecting God to be a little bit different than God was. Well, Noah did it, so it's okay if I do it every now and again? Sure. Let's learn from the story of Noah. When the thought of meeting new people brings immediate negativity to you or moving to a new city or going to a new school or getting a new job, when these things, you start feeling overwhelmed by the possible negative outcomes of these things, we've got some negativity to work on and God can help you with that. And your people can help you with that. And what we tend to say to ourselves is, if I can just deal with all the negative things, then I could be positive. Right, right. That works when you're five. Negative things is cleaning your room. So if you clean your room, then you can go back to your life, which literally has no pressure in it whatsoever. (laughs) TV and cleaning your room once a month, like seriously. But as you grow older, the thing is, what we do is we trick ourselves into this whole, like, okay, but if I just take care of that, I know I'm talking to realists out here. Come on, don't preach me down. Don't shut me down here. Okay. If I just take care of all the negatives, though, then I could enjoy and relax and enjoy all the positives. Here's a newsflash. You will never be done dealing with negative things, ever. And the older you get, the more responsibility you have, especially responsibility over people, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you wait to take care of all the negative things before you can be happy, you'll never be happy. And some of us are just stuck in this mindset that if it would change, we could actually enjoy good moments during our day. But we don't because we're trying to take care of all the bad moments. If I can just potty train my child, life will be better. That is true on a lot of levels, actually. (laughs) But you can't just wait, moms, until that child is potty trained, and then all your children are potty trained, and then pretty soon they're out of the house, and you're like, ah, I wish I could go back a bit and enjoy those moments. I wish I would enjoy the moments a little bit more. If I could just get the promotion, then I could be happy. If I could just earn a little more money, then I could be happy. If I could just get through the hockey year, then I'll restructure, only in time for the hockey year to come back next time and mess my life up. (laughs) If I can just work all the bugs out of my life, then I can relax and be happy. 
we were talking with a, a couple from church, and I asked her if I could share this story, and, and I love her responses, of course. Because <laughs> the only thing worse than like suffering through something is suffering through something and then watching somebody else suffer through the same thing that your story could have helped them with. So I absolutely love that. But um, she came to us, and they came to us, and they're like, can you help us, you know, Pastor Coiner, can you help us deal with fear? Because I just, I feel like I'm afraid all the time, just negative all the time. And and so we asked what it was like, and, and this is, is what fear eventually leads to, and negativity, and just always concentrating on the negative, is that you, you, it feels like you never have a free moment, but, but she said what, what she does is she projects the worst case scenario in every situation. Have you ever done this? You project the worst case scenario in every situation so that when the worst case scenario doesn't happen, you feel a little bit relieved. Like projecting, she said when she was driving, she, she would have these visions of getting in a horrible car wreck with her kids. At least when she gets there and that didn't happen, she could feel a little bit better, I guess. But um, I'm an amazing counselor, if you've ever had any counsel from me. Um, I have this way of like taking like super long conversations and just kind of like squishing them down and like just saying it like super quick. <laughs> So, so I said in these, I'm not the best counselor like to different people, but I'll tell you, I can cut through noise sometimes. And I said, okay, so you're, you're projecting all these things. And then, and then when the worst case scenario doesn't happen, you can feel like you can relax a little bit. I said, is that actually living? To live like that, projecting the worst case scenarios and, and then still having a little bit of negative happen, but it sucked all the fun out of the day because I was expecting the worst to happen. And it didn't happen, so I'm a little bit relieved, but... And I'm still trying to control all of these things. And then I start trying to control my circumstances. And some of the time, you can't control your circumstances. You can't control what other people are going to do. I heard a pastor say this. Look, 10% of people's happiness comes from their current circumstances. 10%. We spend 100% of our time, and pessimists, realists, we spend 100% of our time trying to control our circumstances so that nothing surprises us and shocks us anymore. We don't get taken by surprise. Nobody gets to hurt us. Nobody. Okay. All we do is we just take all the fun parts of us and the painful parts of us and put them in a little bubble and say that nobody's allowed in there. But the trouble is when you numb pain, you numb joy. You cannot selectively numb. And so you just get locked up in this little box where you try to control it and you keep people out. So nobody can hurt you anymore. And at least you don't get the worst case scenarios anymore. But here's the trouble. You don't get the mountaintops either. And I said to somebody one time, I would rather be in pain and feel something and be alive than not feel anything at all. I don't want to be one of those people that just wall off from people. And no, I want to be engaged in my people. I want to be engaged in their lives. And I realized that we've got something that God can work on in us. I said, let's deal with this fear. Let's deal with it. Let's get over this. We need to quit doing that because you're just playing into the hands of negativity and the devil. And that's all he wants you to think about. So there can be no joy in your life. And when good things happen and your daughter does something beautiful and you look at it, you can't really enjoy it because you're thinking about the negative thing. And so we're just waiting for all the negative things to go away so we can enjoy these moments. And before you know it, your daughter's grown up. And you don't get any of that time back. You don't get your time with your friends back because you were hoping that and you're trying to work all the bugs out of a system, but managers, I know this is your job, and I know you're good at it, but if you have people, you can't work the bugs out of a system. Because people are giant bugs. <laughs> there ain't nobody perfect. And sweetheart, if you think it's you, somebody's thinking about you right now. A giant bug. <laughs> and negativity, what it does is it locks us into inaction. And so... 
when our lives are negative, what we do is we don't act when it's time to act. And sometimes you're better to make a decision than no decision. And negativity locks you into this cycle of fear that you can't actually move anymore. And then you start projecting how you feel on the people around you. And then it starts becoming this weird little thing. Can I preach a little bit here? That's not fair. If she would, then I could. And if they would, then I could feel. And, and if that person over there, and if this situation, and they, and they, and they, and they, and they, and you find yourself in a situation that you can't control anymore, and you start projecting your feel of lack of control on the other people. Well, tell you what, newsflash from the other people, it's not fun to be them. Because now you start expecting them to take things from you. When that's not the case all of the time. But we view everybody through this lens that is really our own lack of control and our own feeling of powerlessness. See, negativity is focusing on the negative. See, negative person, like, like it's, it's more than just being realistic, okay? Because positive people and negative people both deal with reality and pain, believe me. But a positive person deals with negative things positively. But see, a negative person deals with negative things negatively. Well, I was expecting that. I knew that was going to happen. And a positive person wouldn't say that because why would you project that into that situation? You're not going to make it any better. They deal with the same reality, the same diagnosis, the same phone call that the negative person deals with, but they deal with it in a positive way. But see, positive people also deal with positive things in a positive way. But negative people deal with positive things in a negative way. And there's not a moment of your life that you live and you feel like you're alive. And I think by the Spirit of God today, you're going to feel alive when this is done. Come on. And what we do is we start to create, if you're a Christ follower or you believe in God, you start to create a God that makes you feel safe. But not a God that makes you safe. Catch this, catch this, catch this. Because I can holler at my kid for running out on the road, and in the moment that I holler at them, they don't feel safe, but I made them safe. If I tackle them out of the way of a truck, I just made them safe, but it didn't feel safe to them in that moment. But it feels a lot safer than getting hit by a truck. And what the, the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, and what your people can help you do, is they can arm you against the things that you're losing in. But having an armed person in your room doesn't make you feel safe because there's still a threat out there. And it says that the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so God's given you people and God's given you himself that puts himself in your doorway and says, no, but, you know, that's a dangerous type of a person that can sit there and fight outwards and be like, you're with us. Your marriage is going to make it. We're going to do this. Well, that feels kind of threatening to us sometimes because we might have to change things and maybe we don't know everything. And you starting to feel it? Okay, but what we do is we try to get people into a box where they make us feel safe rather than make us safe. And we put God in a box where he's only allowed to make us feel safe when the real God isn't safe at all. The real God saves. He is out rescuing people's lives from the gutter. Believe me, that's what the real God does. That's what his servants are expected to do. To make you safe, not to make you feel safe. Because if you're a negative person, the only way that you feel safe is to be negative all the time but you're not safe, are you? I had a, a conflict. See, negative people deal with conflicts negatively as well. They always expect the other person, generally, to act poorly and expect to be rejected. Now, that when you're a little girl and your dad left and 
you got rejected and then you act that way, that kind of makes sense for a while until you're 35 and you're still acting like a little girl who got rejected by her dad and your husband's like, what is going on? I just need to have a talk to you about something. Can we just put the toilet paper the other way? I'm not, no, no, it's not like a, I'm not mad. I just, it would be nice because there's only one way to put a roll of toilet paper. There's only one, it's over. If some of you don't know, you don't know. Nobody told you. Oh, now you know, all right? But here's the thing. You'll get into a conflict about something that's not even really a conflict and doesn't mean anything to the other person, really. It's just a conversation. And you feel a certain way because you've been living your whole life in a negative light to try to make yourself feel safe. But to make yourself really safe, you're going to have to feel unsafe for a little bit and get next to a God who's unsafe, but he's good. He's good. You see, every one of us has a wall that we're going to run into in 10 years in every relationship that we have, with our habits, with everything. And a real God sees the wall and puts people in your life who can be like, okay, we got to make some course corrections now that hurt a little bit, that make you feel unsafe, to make you safe. Because only God knows what's coming tomorrow. And God's love never changes. But he himself can whisper in your ear what you need when you need it. But there's going to be a period of your time where you're going to have to let go of control to God. But believe me, you will never regret letting go of control to God because God is good. Way better than I am, God is good. Um, we had a conflict one time, my dad and I, and my dad was my pastor for years. And um, we used to run uh, like a kind of a youth thing called The Hub where it was like a drop-in center on Friday nights. So we used to run it and uh, it was actually quite successful for, for a while. And what happened was because we were all volunteers and, and uh, like our whole venue crew is volunteers and... Um, and what happened was we had, like, kind of a, a conflict amongst the volunteers, which is awkward. <laughs> you could, like, laugh and make it less awkward if you wanted. <laughs> it was around something at the time, like, culture. I can't even really honestly remember what it was about. I mean, isn't that the way? Like, all your biggest fights, you look back and be like, what, what actually started that? I don't even know anymore. And I think that it was about this, but I'm not quite certain because certain, it was so long ago. But what happened was um, we were just playing some music in there, just like we do here, you know, in the after parties and stuff. We just play music. And, and I was trying to reach the unchurched kids and unsaved kids in town who don't believe in God. So the music at the time, now, now music has progressed, but, um, but uh, how do I say this? this is gonna, I'm totally going to offend somebody today. Um, <laughs> See, there was this whole huge deal in church culture at the time. If you didn't grow up in church, you'll be like, this doesn't make any sense. Okay. And it didn't, honestly. Um, but if you grew up in church, it was just normal. There's this whole thing of like Christian and non-Christian music. Well, it's got to be Christian music. got to be Christian music. Okay, that's, you know, like, I mean, make rules for your kids and stuff. But um, it, that got really weird, that whole thing. Because we were playing music at the hub for non-Christian kids. And at the time, like Christian music... <laughs> 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 this is where this is where, was terrible. Um, like it wasn't good music. It was like I don't even know how to describe it. It just wasn't great. And um, and so the 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 volunteers at the hub felt differently about this. And so um, so me being who I am and a little bit edgy and like really have a heart to reach unchurched and unsaved kids, um, we just said to them like, hey, you want to play music? Play music, but just make sure that it's hub approved. So around here, it's like, it's got to be venue approved, which means it's just got to be decent, right? So like, if it's loaded with F-bombs, like, no. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> but, so I, I put it on the kids. I'm like, well, if you have music that's like decent music that you want to play it, that's fine. 
Like, what's decent music? Well, I can't have this and this and this in it. And it wasn't like super amounts of rules and stuff. And they're like, oh, I might have a song or two <laughs> that doesn't have those things in it. I'm like, bring it, right? So, and what we were doing is we were attracting kids. We were, we were trying to wrap the gospel in a, in a, in a package that somebody would actually open. Because <laughs> it's the best gift of all time. But if you open it up with nasty old music from the 60s now, <laughs> like nobody opening that. <laughs> so I wouldn't open that. <laughs> I'm totally going to offend a bunch of people tonight. But there was this conflict, like there are conflicts, right? And people are, feel convictions about different things. And I'm not saying that I was right. So what happened was we had a conflict about something. And then I found out the next day that it was like a way bigger deal than I thought that it was because I was put in charge of this group. And I'm just like, you know what? I just don't want to make a rule about this because we really don't think that God wants to make a huge, hairy deal about this. We're trying to reach kids. Can we focus on that? And so um, anyways, apparently some of us didn't want to focus on that. And they got together and decided that... You know, I was the Antichrist or something, I guess. They started talking amongst themselves. Now, the trouble is when you go and talk amongst yourselves, then the story kind of tends to get a little bigger than the story was in the beginning. Um, and so, so we... Uh, <laughs> Corey Coke conflict management here. Um, so I did the only thing that I knew to do at the time because this was delegated to me by my pastor. And so I went home to my, to my, my, my pastor or I went to the office or whatever. Now, my dad was my pastor, so it gets really super weird in there because <laughs> sometimes he would wear the dad hat and sometimes he would wear the pastor hat and sometimes he would wear the friend hat. And you got to like know which one he's wearing all the time. And so um, I, once I sorted it out, we were good. <laughs> but there was like some conflicts here and there. Um, mostly my fault as I'm looking back. Now, don't tell him. He's, um, he's not here. Um, <laughs> So, um, so I went to him and I said, well, here's what happened and here's my side of the story. And I'm like, what do you, I don't know, what should I do? Because <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I felt like I screwed it up and I didn't know what to do, right? And, and the other people were like super mad, but they were talking with each other and getting super madder. And so I, I didn't know what to do. So I took him the story and I said, you know, and he, and he asked the age old question, well, what makes music Christian? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> Like, I get it, but if the word Jesus isn't in a song 57 times, is that not a Christian song? And who gets to decide? Like, my best friend's dad was, like, one of those, like, super weird Christians who was like, I know by the way it makes me feel, but the stuff he was listening to made me feel really bad inside. <laughs> like, really bad inside. <laughs> I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> and so... And so what we had was a whole generation of Christians making rules for everybody that Jesus didn't make for them just because they liked it. And they didn't like jungle music at the time, which was music with drums. <laughs> like, I still don't get it. I'm still having a tough time with it. And so now they're apparently okay with music with drums. I don't know what changed in there. Maybe they felt better about it. Um, I'm like, like super long playing this story out here because I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> and they're not here. So, um, so what happened was I, I took it back. And my dad says something interesting. So now we've got a conflict. And now we've got two sides of the conflict. And how are you going to look at this conflict? Are you going to be negative going in or are you going to be positive going in? Now, my dad is the most positive guy that I know. I said, how did you pastor all those years? And, you know, like it was hard. It wasn't fair what he had to go through. And people thinking stuff and saying stuff about him all the time. And I said, how do you get through that? And he said, well, it's better than the alternative. And I said, what's the alternative? And he said, being six feet in the ground. And I said, oh, that's optimistic. <laughs> well, every conflict I dealt with after that was a lot easier. I'm like, well, it beats being six feet in the ground. And um, that was just the way that my dad would say it and the way that my dad was. And, and I love him. He's just super, like, positive. Always dealing with problems, but just positive about it, I guess. He just sort of felt like it was going to work out. And so now we've got a conflict, and my dad and I are quite positive about it because we just assume it's going to work out. 
And the other side of the conflict is looking at my relationship with my dad and saying, you know, he's going to choose his son's side. But like, baby, you didn't know my dad if you thought that Corey was going to get special treatment in this situation. Corey was delegated authority and Corey better get it right. And he believed in his sons and he put pressure on us to become the best that we could be. So there was no like being, you know, there's no special treatment. We were disciplined. We were corrected because the father loves his sons who he corrects. And he wanted us to be the best that we could be. So there was no complaining about stuff. He just worked with us to get better. And, and I love that about my dad. And I try to do that with my own daughters, but in a positive light. You can discipline negatively, and it just turns everything negative. But he was positive, right? We're going to get back together, and it's going to be good. And so in this situation, I didn't know if I'd mess something up, and I didn't know if I'd mess something up for a bunch of people. And so this other crew had been out talking, and Dad said something to me. You ready for this? That was totally unfair, I feel, today. He said, I'm going to deal with this in two weeks. Relax. Now, some of you don't know how patient I am. As a person, I've been described... (laughs) As long-suffering and uh, uber-patient. Uber-patient is often used, the word uber and then patient. I'm not patient at all. I just want something solved, and I want it solved right now. Like, two weeks from now, I'm going to deal with this. And so the other side of the story, what they were doing in this time was they used this time. And my dad, I don't know if he said this to me. I kind of think that he did. In two weeks, I'm going to deal with this, but just don't talk about it until then. Don't talk about it. I'm a Canadian, man. I talk about whatever I want to talk about. And I'm me, and I literally talk about everything all the time. So what I did was I went home, and my young wife was there. And she said, how did it go? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I really want to talk about it. (laughs) But here's the thing. I gave her a gift that day because had I talked to her, listen, I could talk myself into anything. And if I started talking, then I'm going to have to be right. And then they're going to have to be wrong. And then I'm going to have to keep it up. And then it's going to have to blow into a big, huge, hairy deal. And what I would do is put her in a position where she'd have to believe me. She'd have to be on my side. When I didn't have a side because pastor was going to deal with it in two weeks. I didn't have a side of the story. I just told him what I thought happened. He's like, okay, I'll check it out and we'll deal with it in two weeks. I didn't say a word to her about it. I'm like, pastor's going to deal with it in two weeks. And I'll see if I was right in two weeks. It's funny that in that waiting period, because I had a positive outlook, it actually worked a lot of humility in me. And I got thinking, like, maybe I didn't handle the whole thing right. Maybe I got the whole thing wrong. I, I could have. And so when it was time to talk, I was ready to actually talk. And be like, yeah, you know what? If I need correction, I need correction. And that's life. And I'm not going to let it bog me down. And I'm not going to project my stuff on them. I'm going to get better. What they did in the meantime was they all talked amongst themselves and had convinced themselves. And by the time two weeks were over, one family had left the church and came to church early one Sunday morning with a note saying how bad non-Christian music was and whatever else. And I'm thinking, I know your life and I know your story. And there's stuff I could tell you about them right now that you'd be like, this seems like a really tiny thing to get upset about, considering what they were struggling with in their family. But they handed a letter to my wife because of their negative outlook. And I can't really blame them in some senses, not because dad handled it improperly. I think dad did exactly what God told him to do. Sometimes you as a mom have to do exactly what God tells you to do, and the kids don't get it. Do it. And I think that God did that because it was a pruning process in my life, and it was a development in my life, but also what it did was it tested them. I'm going to deal with it, and everybody just needs to relax and calm down so that we can just talk about what actually happened in two weeks, not what everybody's all upset about right now. 
And this guy, you know, from his background, he had a terrible dad, and I, I get, but see, I think he entered that conflict expecting to be rejected and only looked for that and found it where it wasn't even really to be found. And what he did was what we do is he quit before he could get fired, but the thing was he wasn't going to get fired. It was just going to be a conversation. And it was going to work out. And Dad and I knew that it was going to work out. Between us, we knew it was going to work out. Why? Because Jesus is in our relationship, and he says awkward things like, work it out. <laughs> Don't have a choice, man. Your people are your people. Work it out. You don't get to be upset about everything for the rest of your life. Work it out. And live with it. They're people. They deserve love. They deserve forgiveness. They deserve mercy. But so do you. And I wonder, through the years since then, I, I, I see patterns in people's lives, and I wonder how much we pay in our lives when we don't enter a situation positively with the faith and belief that it's going to work out. Well, it's never worked out before. Here, here's the thing is maybe your faith is in people and maybe your faith is in yourself when it should be in the power of the living God. Because God can work out any situation, redeem any life. God can forgive anything. God can heal any marriage. I believe that. Because I've seen it. <laughs> and I wonder how much we paid because we just weren't as positive as we should have been. Sometimes we only look for what we were expecting to find. Sometimes we only see what we were expecting to see. And we miss all the good because we were just concentrating on one tiny little bat. We got some stuff to work on? Let's go into the story of Noah. You're going to love this. In Genesis chapter 8. For the next two hours, I'm going <laughs> to... Very scattered applause. Extremely scattered one-person applause. Thank you. I don't know who that is. Thank you, Kevin. Of course, it's Kevin. <laughs> Genesis chapter 8. I'm going to read you the end of the story because here's the thing. God can see the end of your story. And him rejecting you isn't part of it. Even in judgment and correction, even in conflict, even in sin, when you get things wrong, God sees the restoration. But in the middle of it, we don't see it and we don't believe him. So I'm going to read you the end of Noah's story here because we're talking about judgment. We're talking about a lot of things that are like really hard to talk about in today's society. And it says Noah was now uh, 601 years old. He was super old. Like, he's older than my dad. And on the first day, I'm sorry, I, why did I get a cheap laugh about that? That was bad. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, because we've been going through this series here, if you want more of the background, you'll have to go back and, and watch those. And you should anyways, because you love my preaching so much. And the Holy Spirit talks to you, right? All right. Thank you, Kevin. Um, Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your son and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So now you're seeing what was promised come through in a, in a great restoration. Okay, we have trouble with the judgment part of things, but judgment is a part of everybody's life. And I would rather inform you about it than you be completely surprised by it. Because God's, God's reason in, in all of his dealings with mankind is, re, is to restore them. First to make them for himself. And when they left him is to restore them to himself. That's all he's ever cared about. But judgment is also part of that. Look, he, he can't be good if he's not just. 
And the cries of the innocents do reach the ears of God. And that in Noah's day, like the innocents were being murdered and raped. And that's what was going on. If you had a sword, you did whatever you wanted to do. And so there was a time of judgment that came here. And this is the time of the promise of the after judgment. Because what God did was he hit the reset button on man's relationship with himself. Which he can do with you tonight. Just hit the reset. It says that when he forgives you of your sin, he can't even remember them anymore. Yeah, the problem is that you do. And then you go out and act like you're the same person that he just saved from those things. And he's like, I don't get it. You're not that person anymore. Why are you acting like that person anymore? You see how different it is? How did I get off on that? So Noah, his wife, and their sons, and their wives left the boat. Eight people and all. Maybe there was more by then. They were on the boat along. No, not going to. And all the large and small animals and birds, nobody got that? Okay, we got no families in here. Verse 20, now I'm totally distracted because I'm a little worried why nobody got that. Now, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will, listen to this promise, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 11 of chapter 9. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I place my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. So now Noah can finally see the end of the promise come true, but I want to go back in the story just a little bit earlier and talk about one funny little incident that happened that showed that Noah, what Noah thought about God wasn't quite accurate to who God actually was which is quite possible in our lives like every day. Because how can a God who's merciful bring judgment? And Noah lived in a culture that was wicked. And sometimes when you live in that or you've been the victim of that, you want judgment for other people. And sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes God wants to give them one more opportunity for you to forgive them, for them to come in to the family of God. Just a funny little incident, and it won't sound like a huge theological thing, but I think that you will take something home in here that you can apply in your life. What did Noah really think about God during this whole period of time? Because nobody came with him. He built this great big boat, and nobody came with him. He was a preacher of righteousness in his day, and the only converts were in his own family. So wicked was the world that he couldn't get through to one person that there was judgment coming. Genesis 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing, and the torrential rains from the heavens were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. 
After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. You ready? Another, after another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground, so it returned to the boat. And Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. I recently wrote an article about crows. <laughs> There's a reason ravens and crows, kind of the same sort of deal, I think. There's a reason that they call a bunch of crows together a murder. <laughs> They're like evil schemers. I'm getting in trouble with the crows in my neighborhood because <laughs> I hate them so much, but I can't just like hate something that's like constantly squawking and there's like a hundred of them. And then our neighbor's got like a pet, like giant one in his yard that I think is like the king of all the crows in Airdrie and it's freaking me out. And he's got like, like 150 minions that just fly around and just leave mess everywhere and like follow my kids around and stuff. And I'm going out to pray in the morning. <laughs> and, you know, this doesn't happen every prayer time, but there was a crow. I take it personally too, right? I'm like, stupid crows, you know that you're in the middle of the city and nobody can shoo you. You know, they know that. Man, this is fire, man. You don't go waking people up at four in the morning. One time. <laughs> then there's one loud explosion and then there's no more you. And everybody can go back to bed. And I'm walking, and there's this crow on a garbage can where I walk, five feet away from me, just going, rah, 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 like angry and like, you know, personally threatening my person, personally. And like an affront to me as a human. And I'm like, he's stupid. I walk over to the garbage can, just kick the garbage can, stupid crow, and it flies away. Well, <laughs> Um, it didn't like it, and all his buddies didn't like it either. And then I spent the rest of my prayer time praying for personal protection because they were, like, dive-bombing me. <laughs> they just followed me around town, just dive-bombing me, like, top of the house, like, rah, rah, and then just like, rah, you know, it's like the Star Wars run on the Death Star, just, rah, 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 and I'm just like, please don't poop, please don't poop. And then, like, over again, and then they come over to the, you know, the light pole, and then just, rah, and dive-bomb me, and, and I finally realized that there's only one use for a crow in this world, or a raven, and that is to eat the flesh of dead things, because they're that evil. <laughs> Don't mess with crows, man. They're, like, organized. <laughs> it's like the mafia. You don't mess you up. I'm still scared of them. I still go out and pray, but it's, like, terrifying. <laughs> you get killed by crows today? Well, it was close. <laughs> you gonna kick gar more garbage cans? I'm probably that dumb that I would, though. Stupid crow! <laughs> Dad didn't teach me anything. Anyways, so, but here's the funny old thing. 
The first bird that Noah sends out is a raven. No, a raven only exists to do one thing. Eat dead flesh. Now Noah's built this boat and nobody came on and he's wondering about his mission in life, but his family was saved and all these animals were saved and that's great. And God said, I'm going to hit the reset button on humankind so that going forward, they could actually be with me because I want them with me. And if you don't spend your lifetime with, with God here, following Christ here, you don't get to spend the next lifetime with him. That's the deal. And if the blood of Jesus doesn't cover your sins, because for your sins, one life is, is called for and it's your life. And Jesus put his life in your place and said, I'll pay it. And so... And so what happens is if you won't live with him here and serve him here and say, I need you to be my Lord and my master here, if that doesn't happen, then in the next life you have no connection with him. That's how it works. And so, so, but Noah has watched the judgment of God. And I've got to think that Noah had to live with the brunt of the wickedness of the people around him for all those decades that he was building the ark and the hundreds of years that he'd been alive living in wicked neighborhoods and watching, hearing the screams of the innocents and just, and maybe he was happy in a little way that he saw everybody else's life fall apart. Am I talking to church people? Sometimes you're happy because at least you don't have to hear them party anymore if they get a divorce. Come on. But I wonder if maybe the judgment of God, what he was expecting to see was like the apocalypse with floating animals and floating dead people and the judgment that came on. And he sent out a raven first who can only eat that stuff, really. And the raven comes back. And it wasn't like that. God had actually made a clean sweep of the sins of the world. Now it's Old Testament, and it seems hard today. In the New Testament, things are softened with Jesus, but not everything. And when God hits a reset on somebody's life, what he does is he just takes it all away forever. As far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember it anymore. And so what he does is then he sends a dove out next. Because here's the thing. A dove always goes home. And Noah might be wondering about his home because the dove eventually came back. Couldn't find his home. He eventually came back because um, home is where your people are. Not where you live. And home for him was the ark. And Noah's people were on the ark and that was now home. But he sends a dove out. Now, a dove always represents peace, but when they release thousands of doves in an event, they just kind of circle around and come back because doves come home. But ravens eat dead things. And I wonder if in that moment he didn't realize the kindness of God even after judgment and realize he did actually hit the reset button here and like it was a brand new earth again. Like your marriage could be a brand new marriage starting from scratch tomorrow morning. Like your relationship with your son could be a brand new start tomorrow morning. Like your relationship with God could be a brand new start tomorrow morning. And a dove is a a fierce creature, but it wants peace for its family. And I'm thinking of another story about Nineveh. Did you grow up in Sunday school? And Jonah the prophet gets swallowed by a fish because he won't go to Nineveh. Jonah's name means dove. So God is saying to Jonah, go and talk to the Ninevites who were wicked and had done nasty old things to Israel. He said, go out and talk to your enemies and bring them back home to me. And Jonah's like, I'm going to be this raven and go in the other way. And he got swallowed by a fish and then he had to go and preach this. And then he was mad when they actually repented because he actually wanted them to get 
beat up. He wanted them to go down. And he goes and sits under a tree and has a good old pity party for himself because God's judgment didn't come and kill a bunch of people like a good prophet. And I can't help but think to myself, it depends on how you see God, Noah. Jonah, it depends on how you see God. Because even correction and discipline is only for a time. And its only purpose is restoration. Because when I sin against my wife, if the sin is undealt with, we're not together anymore. Not where it matters. And until the sin gets dealt with, there can be no restoration. And when God puts his finger on something in my life and says, you need to fix this, what he really wants is restoration with himself. That's why judgment hurts, because it just hurts because we screwed something up. And we don't like to say it. But he's like, you don't understand, like when I was with my father, that really in the end, it was just supposed to be for restoration. That's all that it was for. And I want to ask you today, would you hit the reset on a relationship in your life? Just one. You've been looking at the other person and projecting your negativity on the other person, and you're just tired of being negative, and you know where it goes. It's time that we grow up inside and mature inside and start seeing the best things about life and actually disciplining ourselves to live like that and to believe the best about people and to believe the best about yourself and to connect with God and positive people, your people who believe in you and tell you things like, you can get over this thing. You can get over this addiction by the power of God. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to call you on the phone until this thing is seen through. But what you need to do right now is to hit a reset button because I believe that you've seen the power of God in your life. Even if you don't think that you have, when you get saved and meet Jesus, you will look back and see that God was there in the pain and God was there and God was keeping you from fates that you have no idea that he kept you from. But if he did it then, then he can do it again. We've seen him move the mountains and I know that he could do it again. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask that every person's heart would be open right now and that we would in our hearts give that peace over to you, but we have to give the fear and control over to you and say, I don't want to feel safe anymore because I'm not safe. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with my people. Would you come into my life and make me safe, God? And I'm going to give up the right to feel safe and to have a God and to have people whose only job is to make me feel safe when I'm not safe. We're supposed to find shelter in the truth, God, and I pray for every person here today that you would bring truth into our lives that you only want to bring things out so that they can be dealt with, put behind us, and we can be restored with you and with people today. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.